Drew Holiday if they can get it there. It'll be J.J. Reddick. He's got a good look all the way to the cup. for the three. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. See Grant. And we are here to bring you episode 50. Episode 50 of Views from the Clutch. As always, we want to take a brief moment out to say thank you to all of our listeners, subscribers, and contributors. As always, we appreciate any and everything that y'all bring to the table. If you would like to contact us, you can do so by leaving a voice note on any of the platforms where our podcast is hosted. You can message us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Facebook and Instagram. Episode 50, man. Congratulations, man. Yo, word. Congratulations to you, too, man. Who would have thought? Yes, sir. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? You know what, you know what I mean? <laughs> and we got, and this is something real, because we got, we got colleagues and friends who also podcast, and they've all come to me and said the same thing. Like, yo, man, y'all cooking, man. Like, we not even up to episode 25, and we started before y'all. So... I, I'm grateful that a sport like this allows us to be as active and as connected as as we've been able to do. Um, I'm just going to give the fans a disclaimer, the listeners. We don't really have an agenda for this episode, but um, as long as I still got TV working in my crib, because I damn sure did cut off my TV package, and I'm going internet only just to see what life is like. Probably going to blog probably, about probably it. Probably better, um, probably better. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, internet only is the way. Mm. If you got a smart television and you know how to manipulate technology, then you always are not going to be... Come on, come on, don't say, nothing, don't say nothing too crazy. Don't try to... When I say manipulate I'm technology, saying, I'm saying I'm go just, get yourself... Son, let me say it. Let son, me say it. Okay, go get okay. yourself that NBA season pass, you know what I'm saying, so that you can cast your NBA games from the app to your television or from your computer screen to your television. And the same thing with all of these other paid subscription services that you could do that don't involve you necessarily marrying yourself to a long-term service provider. That was it. Okay, yeah, because, you know, we talked about that in the previous episode about different options you can have that allow you to view, have the NBA TV app from your phone so you can watch games in that way or from your computer. So that way, if you don't necessarily have it on a television, or you, like you like you say, you want to minimize your monthly bills, that's one way to do it. You know. What yeah. I'm so, so if you want to ask the cable, yeah. So if you want to ask the cable bill because you don't watch anything but the NBA, I'm telling you, there's ways that you can go ahead and still have your NBA access and not be a cable subscriber. That's really all I was going with. So uh, yeah, uh, pop- more, you know. Yeah, yeah I, don't, sure. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't even want you sure. thinking that I was inferring yeah. anything. But let's jump right into it because I'm hyped right now. I'm hyped. I mean, what I've just been watching is just confirmation of what I've been telling you. Uh, I'm going to ask you to title this. Jimmy Butler is a psychopath. Nah, just, okay, okay. Butler about and, that life. But he is the most lovable basketball psychopath I've probably seen in a long time. 
And there's always one or two every year. But oh, man. even thugs Jim- need love, man. Yes. But Jimmy Butler versus TJ Warren is some exciting television in a blowout. Did you see it? Are you I saw, watching it? I saw I, I saw a little bit of it where um, Jimmy Butler was driving to the basket and TJ Warren just straight grabbed his arm and his shoulder was like, then they got each other face and the referees broke it up. And then Jimmy Butler had to remind TJ Warren that you trash. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so TJ Warren. Ain't, ain't, ain't helping um, innovate the the small ball four position for the Indiana Pacers. Nah, I'm just it, no, no, no. I like TJ he's Warren. trash. No, no, no. I said that's what Jimmy Butler said. Oh, okay. Jimmy okay. Butler said you trash. I didn't say. Oh yeah, he did. You're right. You're right. He actually did mouth that out and say you trash. So um, to give it context, like you said, early on in the game, TJ Warren gave a hard foul to Jimmy Butler, which Jimmy Butler took exception to. Jimmy Butler is from Texas. He don't play those teams. So, you know, he stood up for himself as a man on the court. He's the leader of the Miami Heat. They had the lead, a large lead. So, really, mm-hmm. it's nothing more than the opponent trying to rankle your feathers and possibly get you out of concentrating and, you know, possibly take the team down with you because, you know, you cut the head of a snake, snake dies. Later on in the game, on Jimmy Butler's only side of the court that he plays on offensively, the right-hand side of the court, he's in a above three-point line break in an isolation play against uh, T.J. Warren. He gave him a nice, friendly right-arm right, right, right arm chicken wing to the gut. Referees caught it, immediately called the foul on Jimmy Butler, and uh, T.J. Warren proceeds to follow Jimmy Butler down the court and starts clapping right in the eyesight of the refs, gets himself a technical foul, and before they are separated, he kindly reminds Jimmy Butler that he smells like kitty litter. Mm. Wait, TJ so he said that to Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he said the p word. He said you pussy. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't. No, I didn't see so, that part. Yeah, that that's what I'm trying to tell you. Jimmy Butler is. Listen, when you can get into an opponent's head like that, and they're losing by 35. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, I just wanted to that that absolutely has no context to the whole entire podcast, but it's just something that happened live while we're while we're on the air. So I just figured yeah. that with you. And for the fans out there, I know that if y'all listen to us, y'all y'all do what I say. Y'all go to those YouTubes and just search for what I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. well, you'll probably see it. So you'll probably see it because I forgot the guy whose channel who always does it, his channel name. But you'll probably see Jimmy Butler almost fights T.J. Warren or you'll see Jimmy Butler blows kiss because that's what he did when T.J. Warren got the technical. I don't know if they ejected him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got out. They got out. They gave um, T.J. Warren was out. They gave him the boot. But, so, um, yeah, Jimmy Butler blew, blew him a farewell kiss on his on his way out of being escorted out the arena. So um, Guess how crazy – Guess you know how they, you know, people always follow plus minuses, right? G- mm-hmm. And now – Jimmy Butler's plus minus is pot plus twenty four, right? TJ mm-hmm. TJ Warren in tw- in twenty three minutes, his plus minus five, and it was so they, that, were, they were pretty much matched up against each other. Yeah, so you basically are responsible for this whole win because saying. you because because you can't guard him. Yeah, I mean TJ Warren, well, he was one of five shooting with uh, three points and four rebounds. Uh, and Jimmy Butler was five or six shooting uh, with 14 points and seven assists and six rebounds yeah. in 28 minutes. So if you score 14 points and have seven assists, your PRF, which is points responsible for 
that goes from 14 to adding another 14. So your PRF is somewhere at least at 28. If you had a couple of three-point assists, then your PRF goes up a couple points more. So it could be as high as 30, 32, 33, depending on what type of assist he had. Yeah, that's going to affect plus and minus something crazy. It, it, the beauty and the and the, the rabbit hole that you can go down with analytics is, is, is quite fascinating when it comes to basketball. There's very few other sports that give you that opportunity to look at a player and really see how on an individual level, mathematically and statistically, they're affecting the game. And, you know, plus minus has really probably shortened quite a few guys' careers because a lot of the guys mm-hmm. who are offense heavy, as they, you know, their skills decline and their ability to, to play defense just absolutely disappears on them that plus or minus comes back to haunt them because a lot of these GMs, they they can say they're relying on their scouting teams and all this, but they look at the stat sheets, man. They look at the stat sheets and they say, well, if this guy was a minus 25 playing in Detroit and Detroit won 38 games last year, what do we look like bringing him here, you know? So it, it's crazy how analytics and the, and the eye test and all of the things that impact how players are evaluated are now, you know, kind of controlling the narrative. But, um, Back to the episode, back to episode 50. Uh, let's discuss your, your New York Knicks. They had a game yesterday. Who they play? The Lakers. Oh, you just done talking now. I'm letting you know. I said they played the Lakers. They didn't do too well. I mean, it's all good. I mean, they, they lost to the Clippers. It, it, oh, oh. They lost okay. to the Clippers the previous um, night by three, and then they played the Los Angeles Lakers like yesterday, and they ended up getting blown out. They didn't get blown out until the middle of the third quarter. Let's just put the context fairly. The Knicks played valiantly. Valiantly, the Lakers went on a run. The, 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 the Knicks weren't able to respond. But in the midst of that game transpiring, Anthony Davis took a hard fall, and he did not return. That happened, like, in the middle of the third quarter, pretty much right after the game started to, to go heavily in the Lakers' favor mm-hmm. or was starting to really turn the tide towards the Lakers, that's when um, he took that hard fall. Um, he's now been evaluated. The MRI was negative. The, um, I think they even did an X-ray. And they're, I don't want to name the injury because it's so pause-worthy, but basically the, the, the gluteus muscle is what they're terming him. Yeah, his tailbone. You know, funny as that. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, it's, but again, that's what um, – Good thing for Anthony Davis. Obviously, they don't think it's severe. He's going to be held out a couple of games. But anybody... Oh, he's actually traveling with the team. So there's a chance that, you know, Anthony... Because Anthony Davis is on this strange quest to prove that he's durable mm-hmm. because of, you know, his prior represent his prior His prior reputation in New Orleans and how many games he didn't play due to minor knickknack injuries that he would accumulate over the course of a season. And he would just allow himself to sit out because, frankly, at the time, New Orleans wasn't competitive. So it's like, I'm not really doing the team harm by being out there, being unhealthy. Might as well get healthy and, you know, put the best possible me out there on the floor I can. But now when you're out there chasing the championship, the stakes change. You got, you got LeBron out there playing with half a groin muscle. You're going to look bad. But with all that still being considered, Anthony Davis just recently turned down a four-year extension offer from the Los Angeles Lakers, which everyone expected as a formality because that four-year deal was available for four years, 146 mil. And I think if he waits, which he is obviously going to do to enter the class as a free agent, he's eligible for five years, 200 plus million. Exactly. So, So you already know what it is. 
I just find it ironic that in lieu of him turning down a contract offer, fate intervenes and puts him on his ass. So sometimes I don't think things happen as coincidences. Mm. Do you think that Anthony Davis is going to be in the long haul healthy enough to serve any team for five years, 200 plus million? Even the Lakers, period. Do you think? I think think he'll he'll give you about 60 games each season. That's about about sixty games. I mean, yeah, about sixty games might be fair fair for him. But I mean, I think the because of the player that he's become, that and there's there's a lot a list of teams, you know, be lined up and pay that with no problem. So correct. And here's know. the thing that I wanted to bring to your attention or ask you your perspective about. Certain guys get hurt a lot because of how they play the game of basketball. Do you agree? Uh-huh. Anthony Davis plays a brand of basketball that allows his body to constantly be vulnerable because he scores, I would say, anywhere from three to four alley-oops a game. Maybe attempts six, but he completes or nearly completes at least three or four of them a game. As you <clears throat> jump in the air and make your, yourself vulnerable, not only to a bad fall, landing incorrectly, you, you, you make yourself available to contact. Contact brings you to the floor harder than it does a regular landing. Mm-hmm. Does a person like Anthony Davis, who right now at 26 years old, is still relying heavily on his God-given athleticism to make the game of basketball easy, do you think that he becomes one of those players who before something takes him down to a major level, he changes his game to, to kind of keep himself a little bit more safe? Or do you think he continues to play the way he does? I mean, I think he's little by little, um, you know, he's stretching out, becoming, you know, shooting a jump shot more, starting to shoot the three more. So little by little, he, his game is trying to show he's evolving some. So um, I don't know. It, it, that's kind of, I think he'll keep, he'll keep shooting the jumper, you know? Yeah, that's um, a given. That's, he, he's so, been shooting the jumper since high school. So I don't think that's really going to change. I just think that, like, his rack attacks and his forays to the rim where he's – because, you know, he has that spin move where he leaves, like, the the entire left side of his body vulnerable when he's trying to finish right-handed because he posts up on the right block and he usually turns you left for a second and then he spins back right to get that inside position to either dunk on you or give you a right-hand finish. When he does that, his body is very vulnerable. The average defender by accident can push him and send him flying. So I just think that he's going to have to, after this year and after the grind of this year, really take some time to go in the film room and say, what about my game can I do to make sure that I can still be the player that I am, but not make it so risky for myself? And I think that we saw great players begin to adjust like that. Michael Jordan did it. He went to the weight room and then he, basically became, you know, the mid-range guard with that fadeaway jump shot from the mid-post triangle. And what that did was that slowed down him having to always go to the basket and get an and one to get, you know, three points in a play. Now he's getting fouled on fadeaway jumpers and he's still keeping his scoring average at what it was. But he eventually, you know what I'm saying, modified himself. So I'm looking to see what type of adjustments a guy like Anthony Davis makes. There's a couple other players out there who have – Playing styles that I feel like the limit on them, like there's a salary cap on how many more times Russell Westbrook can jump and try to dunk on everybody. 
-hmm. He's already passed and he's already had knee surgeries. He's already, and and looking at his explosiveness this year, he doesn't look as explosive as he's always been. He does have explosive moments, but the level of explosiveness at, at a consistent basis hasn't been the same for Russell Westbrook. So he's definitely starting to understand what age does to the body. So I, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to look and see. You know, you got a young class of a whole bunch of young guys who are now there, young and ready to prove themselves. Like Malik Monk caught a dunk tonight, and he dunked on his own teammate. He dunked on Tyler Zeller or Cody Zeller, mm-hmm. and it looked amazing. It looked like Michael Jordan. But Malik Monk is a second, third-year player in the league. As you continue to rack up those NBA miles, you know, that willingness to do all that craziness in the air kind of dissipates. So I'm looking to see what players adjust. And I think that's why a lot of people think that Luka Doncic is going to have a long, dominant career because so much of what he does isn't based on athleticism, but more on sleight of hand, knowledge of angles, basketball IQ, that he's going to have this long career where he's going to be able to average triple doubles for the rest of his life. It's interesting. Um, but that's pretty much my, my, my episode 50 rant. Mm-hmm. What, what you got, what you got for me, bro? Yeah. Um, they, they, they announced or reported that Victor Oladipo should be making his return. That's right. Um, January 29th, which is almost Black Panther. A, a little bit more than a year that he kept the injury because he had the nasty quad injury. They said on, um, what you call on January 23rd, I believe, or 25th of 2019. So, mm-hmm. and, and come to find out, it wasn't like a, a knee issue. It was a quad. Nah, he, he hurt his quad. He didn't hurt his knee. And um, ironically, there's two areas of the leg that they say are equally as dangerous and tough to come back from. Like, in some instances, I've been told, and these are by people who, you know, who have medical history and have dealt with helping people rehab, it might be better for you as a basketball player to tear your ACL than it would be to hurt your quad mm. or to rupture or to damage your patella tendon, which is something that um, Roberson of the Oklahoma City Thunder has yet to come back from properly in two years. Um, I forgot who the last player was who messed up the patella tendon and was never the same player, but that decline in athleticism from coming back from it is something serious. So I'm definitely curious to see what version of Victor Oladipo we get, especially considering the fact that when you go through a major injury, you rehab from it, you hit all these benchmarks, you know, because that's what they do. They have these players repeatedly test themselves, test their limits. Oh, okay, well, you're right back at where you was at the combine when you were a rookie and five years ago. You can still jump as high, but that's just a focused jump. You know, that's you giving it your all on one play. Basketball doesn't work that way. Basketball is... In that moment, can you channel that and, and reproduce it? Because I, I, you can speak to this, Chris. How many times have you went running down the court with the full intention of jalapenoing somebody's shit to the backboard and you feel your body building up the steam? Oh, I'm about to jump. I'm mm-hmm. about to fly. And then you take off and you're like, yo, I'm not even going to touch this guy's basketball. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. The devil is a lie. Mm-hmm. And that youth and that ability to summon it at will, injuries take that away from you. It takes it away from you. And it's it's a scary sight to see players who don't realize it or see it coming and haven't prepared to adjust for it. 
So I think that was, you know, kind of like the underlying theme of what I was going with. LeBron has adjusted pretty well to his decline in athleticism, which we've spoken to. If you give LeBron a runway, then you'll never know that he's not the same guy he was 10 years ago. But if you watch him when he's driving to the basket, there's a lot of plays where he's doing finger rolls and he was giving people helmets. Of course, of course, of course. I mean, but everybody's not a freak. I mean, you got to figure, he, that, like you said, that dude's a freak of nature. I mean, the average person yes. wouldn't be, would not be jumping. I mean, look at, look at somebody like Melo, right? Big ups to mm-hmm. Melo for hitting the game winner. Um, yeah, I was going to get to that. I was going to get to that. But, yeah, go but ahead. The fact that, you know, if I ever see Melo trying to jump, now Melo was never, you can never mistake Melo for, for, for a high rise from a, a Skywalker. But Melo gave, Melo gave plenty helmets out. No, he did. To, but he was not known as like a leaper like LeBron. Yeah, he's not mean? okay. He's he he's not a part of the Mile High Club. So he definitely, was, yeah. Go ahead, yeah so going. I was going at was basically saying if you ever see Melo trying to jump now, it looked like he's struggling to get them dunks. Where LeBron is still, you know, be able to get to some of the dunks, but they're not as electrifying as before. So again, you're talking about thirty guys, 35, 36 years old. Your body's not allowing you to get as high or be explosive as you can be. So that's what I was just really referencing. Yeah, on demand. Like, um, like uh, for instance, look at Sean Marion. Like, the thing that made Sean Marion so special was that he arguably had the quickest second jump in the NBA. So yeah. miss Thomas jump and get back up in the air. The only other guy I've seen equivalent to him, and he was obviously better than him at doing it, was Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman could go up for a rebound, be horribly off in timing. The other guy goes up. If that other guy's timing is off, Dennis Robin could land, get back up in the air, and get to the ball quicker than that other guy could. And it was just such an amazing thing. Sean Marion could do it. But those are things that as you start to accumulate, like you were speaking of, that wear and tear and the mileage on the body, you have every intention of being that same guy, but your body just won't allow you to. The body will eventually betray you. It's Father Tom, like they say, what they, what's the phrase? Father Tom is undefeated? Yes, sir. It's absolute fact. Father Tom is undefeated. So... Yeah, man, we're we're looking at a transitional phase in the NBA, if y'all believe it or not. You know what I'm saying? LeBron James is 35 years old. At most, we got – he says he wants to play until Bronny's in the league. And, you know, this is LeBron James, so I'll never put any doubt on him. Bronny is a freshman in high school. So we at least, by LeBron's clock – They got at least four four or five years. Yeah, we got – well, the the rule is going to change, so – Bronny is going to be a, a pro after he graduates high school. There's no college for Bronny. Uh, we can just pretty okay. much, uh, unless Bronny, you know, his development trajectory doesn't, you know, match that of his father's or of any other prospect who has the ability to enter the league, leaving high school, like a, um, like a LaMelo. You know what I'm saying? LaMelo only went to go play overseas because they wouldn't allow him to turn pro. So he turned pro on his own so he could, you know, get a bag and continue to still be showcased in, 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 a, in a format where the competition was at least better or at least grown men versus him going to college and literally just, you know, making a charade of the whole situation. But, yeah, for Bronny, right now he's at Sierra Cana High School, and um, that team is doing pretty well. They're one of, like, the nationally ranked teams as far as high school basketball goes. Yeah. But he don't play that much. He don't play that much. He, he's a, he definitely is not starting. He definitely is not scoring. I, I would be surprised if he's scoring more than 10 points a game. So he's definitely earning and learning. Good. And, That's what you want, though. He's a freshman. Yeah. yeah. 
Definitely, definitely. And Sierra Canyon has played some really good teams with some really mm-hmm. top-tier prospects on it. So he's getting exposed to a lot of talent at a level that maybe even his father didn't get at that age, even though LeBron was a national phenomenon, what, by sophomore year in high school? Because mm-hmm. I think by sophomore year was when he touched the Sports Illustrated cover. I think he was a sophomore by then. He may have been a junior, but I'm pretty sure he was – because I think they were talking about him as a 15-year-old, so that would put him at sophomore. Mm-hmm. But – um. <clears throat> But yeah, you know, they've already moved Bronny's games into bigger stadiums and started nationally televising. I'm like, I think as a matter of fact, he's been, he's been a couple times. Yeah, I think I think Bronny has been on national TV more times than the Knicks this year. Oh Lord, just do man. <laughs> oh, man. Why are you trying to? Shoot your... You know what? This dude was all quiet, taller. <laughs> All quiet when LeBron was injured last year. And Lakers was we wasn't podcasting though. I'm just letting people know, yo, don't, don't, don't get it twisted, man. Oh, I was I was smart, Alex. The church mouse last year as the Lakers went through that insufferable season. So I'm just letting you know, so people won't be like, come on, man. Sorry. Right. You know I'm saying, man, we had we had an attempted rapist as a coach. We had all types of dysfunction going on over there, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, you had a. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the Lakers. We expect. But yeah, I, I think um, I think what what's going on with the um, what you call it? Like I said, don't worry about the Knicks, man. The Knicks is the Knicks is oh, good faith. Okay, Knicks. The Knicks caught and one. Frank Miller King. First and foremost, let's let's celebrate something. The Knicks are six and nine since Mike Miller took over. Now, mm-hmm. the last time we spoke about them, they were six six, and I'm not bringing up the fact that they had three more losses to down them. I'm pointing out the fact that prior to him taking it, they didn't have six wins. I know. So the Knicks are definitely making a lot of progress, and I'm proud. I'm proud. Uh, Mitchell Robinson has been playing a lot better. They're running those plays that I told you you need to run to make Randall more effective, but it's also exposing the fact that, listen, Randall is horribly inconsistent, and mm, yeah. he's got to add some facets to his game that are like, you know, like everybody has their go-to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, this ain't working. That ain't working. Like, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, he's going to eventually just start turning over his right shoulder if he can't go to the basket or if he's not making any three-pointers or whatever he's doing outside of the flow of the game that makes sense basketball-wise to do, but it's not working for you, then that's when you go to your wheelhouse. So Randall's got to get some – he's got to get some real easy buckets in his wheelhouse if, if he's going to continue to develop. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. there's certain things that there's certain things you see from players, and you know, I right, he's getting himself warmed up. You know what I mean? Like Damian Lillard don't go to the basket because he wants to. He goes to the basket to get himself warm so that when he takes that 35 footer, he's got a feel for the game. Yeah, CJ McCullough, yeah. you know, he'll take a couple pull ups just so that he can get that spot up three rhythm that he needs to feel more comfortable in the game. Everybody's got their, you know, their, 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 their package, if you will. That's what it's called. Everybody's got their package. Melo's got his package. If you see Melo on the left-hand side of the court, just by the elbow, you know it's about to happen. He's about to stick his left arm up in the air, call for the ball, and he's about to either give you the pivot with the, with the two steps and a pull-up into a jumper or drive, or he's going to back you down and go to that right-handed fadeaway where he's fading out of bounds. That's what he does. That's how he gets comfortable. Randall needs that. He needs that move. He needs that. He needs that area of the court. 
you know, this is my house. And now that you're here, you got to deal with my skills at this level. So I think that's the next level up for him and his progression. So I'm hoping that he'll be able to acquire that or develop it over the course of the season because Randall signed for three years. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so there's two more years of Randall to look forward to as those, as those kids develop. Um, RJ Barrett has been looking better. Yeah, definitely. Um, RIP Kevin Knox. I, you might as well just get ready to get traded because I don't. This is what the second coach in a row who's who's shown little to no faith in allowing you to get out there on the court. Um, I've been seeing what's the name get pretty much all of his minutes. Uh, what's his name? He was hurt at the beginning of the season. Is it Bullock? Bullock. Oh, no, Bullock. 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 Yeah, yeah. Bullock's getting his um. Starting to, starting to get a lot more playing time. He's still a little rusty, though. You can tell some rust, but again, you've been out, the, you've been out for a while. And he was hurt. He had surgery and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and um, I think a family member of his passed away, too. But mm-hmm. long story short, Bullock has been eating up all of those reserved small forward minutes that you would think would go to somebody like Kevin Knox as a young developing rookie. But it seems like Mike Miller literally is trying to build a winning culture and he wants to win. So he's putting guys out there that he believes gives the team the best chance to win rather than embrace the tank mentality of, you know, you just let your rookies play and you literally be out there, you know, as a coach with your sunglasses on. So I commend him for, you know, showing a vested effort in teaching those, those players that, yo, I want to win in culture. I want you guys to go out there and win. And I'm going to put a team out there that's going to give y'all the best possible opportunity to bring home a win. The Knicks defense has, you know, it's been sporadic, but when they show they got it together, they, they're, they're pretty good on defense. And so I don't know. I don't ever want to think that, like, just because I roast and troll and, and mess with you about your Knicks fan, about your Knicks fandom, that I don't support New York. I definitely do. It's just, it's low-hanging fruit, man. It's low-hanging fruit. That's all. But what else can we talk about, bro? Who, 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 who else can, oh, so Victor Oladipo's coming back. January 29th. Everybody mark it on your calendar. I forgot what, what team they're playing against, too. I think possibly the Bulls or the Hornets, I think. Yeah, I think it's Chicago. I think it's Chicago. Yeah, uh-huh. So, that I mean, Victor, you you bold, bro. You going to come back and go as Zach Levine? I ain't gonna play Shout limited. out to you, man. He's going to play limited limited roles. You know, he's not going to be playing yeah, that. Yeah, he'll he'll he's going to be on a minutes restriction. And mm-hmm. I think it's dope the way they rolled it out. You know, the announcement, you know what I'm saying? Rarely do you get, because usually that's a team control situation, but they let Victor go out and make, like, I think he did a tweet or an Instagram post, you know, telling everybody, yo, I appreciate y'all for holding it down. I'll see y'all January 29th. I thought that was fire. That was definitely fire because, you know, it gives those Pacers fans something to look forward to, mm-hmm. even in the midst of them having, again, another great season in spite of his injury. Because remember, Victor Oladipo's injury affected them not just last year, but this year. So that's two seasons they've had to basically play without their best player for a, a large portion of the season. And it's commendable what their coach has done. Nate McMillan is definitely in that, you know, coach of the coach of the year discussion. I don't think he'll get it because there's just a lot of great situations going on. Like, I mean, last episode, we had to give Taylor Jenkins his props. So... You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting coach of the year voting for this year. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Who got it last year? Did they give it to Budenholzer? Yeah, Budenholzer got it last year, so he's yeah, not so, gonna get it this year. Yeah, even though the Bucks do currently have the best record in the league, so still, there's too many other teams that are surprising teams 
that yeah. you got to figure is, is coaching. I mean, I would, I would, I would not sit there and give it to him. You know, obviously, obviously, if Miami keeps the two seed, you can give it to Spolstra. You know what I mean? Because who would have expected that coming into the season? Not let me say this: I don't remember everybody's take, but no, I don't recall one. any major pub mm-hmm. picking Miami to be the top in contention for the playoffs. Not even the top. See, listen: if you didn't pick them to go to the playoffs, I don't even care about what you're saying. You get what I'm trying to say? Because if you didn't pick them to at least go to the playoffs, then you definitely didn't have them projected anywhere near. I think we were. I don't want to say close, but we said they'll be fighting for a playoff spot. And we want to see how they're able to pull that off with Jimmy Butler and all those assorted parts. Well, those assorted parts turned out to be a luxury car. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And now now you've got Goran Dragic. He's back. He's healthy. And he's coming off the bench. So Spolstra has put together a protocol that allows him to preserve his veteran players for the playoff time where you've got former starters and all-stars headlining your bench. Come playoff time, obviously, you know, rotations shrink a little, but it's going to be a problem for those teams in the East to be dealing with Goran Dragic being the second point guard. Yeah, yeah, of course. And there's there's going to be nights in those series where, you know, because Kendrick Nunn is a young guy and he's not playoff tested, it's not going to really matter if he doesn't play because you're still going to be looking at Goran Dragic down there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <sighs> the, the, um, it looks like sometimes, you know, that's the thing about people, certain players, you get certain players with certain names, you got to respect that because you know the possibility they could go off for something, you know. So as a defender, you got to – they have to be a little bit more accountability, accountable for that player. I'm, about to, I'm watching the end of this Raptors and Hornets game right now. Raptors, yeah, the Raptors is up two, um, with five seconds left and three seconds to go in overtime on my screen. It's one twelve, one ten. Yep, yep, yep. He just now, um, CJ Watson just got fouled by Lara. They had a foul to give. So and the Hornets are inbounding the ball, and they have an opportunity to either tie or shoot for the win. What what, do you, what would you do? Oh, two seconds, one second. They're going for the win. I mean, they're probably they're probably lose. They lost, but uh, yeah. Rozier oh. just shot a fadeaway three. You know, Keith Murray just yeah. Come on, man. That's the best shot you got. I mean, where's Instagram? Oh, at? he wants to fight somebody. He wants to fight somebody. Oh, it is turn up Tuesday in the NBA. I don't even know who he was mad at. Terry, Terry, relax, bro. Relax. We know you real. We know you about it. You went to Louisville. You went to Louisville. That's where all the, that's where all the real ones go. Hey, the ones man, who have to go through something you know, to prove something, they go what? play. They go play in Louisville. You know what? I'll be some. I'll be tired of these cats, man. Y'all millionaires. Y'all not fighting nobody, man. Y'all not fighting. Uh, first of all, there's an other seven foot six. So, six foot, so what are you saying? So we say NBA is not about that action. That's that's what it means. They, not about that, that action. Yeah, basically. What, what was the last time you seen a good NBA fight? Exactly. I was on Facebook today. I was on Facebook today, and they showed the quote-unquote best NBA fights of the 2018-2019 season, and nobody got killed, Smack. The most interesting one, which I had forgotten about, was when Ibaka had enough of Marquise Chris. I don't even know if you remember that. So Marquise Chris was playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers at the time, 
And oh. somebody on the Raptors threw Serge Ibaka like one of those 78-foot, you know, long passes because he had early post position. So Ibaka kind of touched the ball. Like, he was trying to get to it, but the way Chris was defending him, he wasn't going to be able to secure it, so he fell. Chris didn't fall. So he's standing up looking over Ibaka walking past him. And I guess he said something to him like, you know, I guess that's why Kerry Hilson left your ass. Ibaka got up. Oh, Lord. Chris had turned his back. Ibaka grabbed him by the throat. And made him spin around. And you saw Chris just like throwing punches to just like save himself from what he couldn't see coming. Bruh, go look that up, man. That had me crying. I didn't even watch the rest of the compilation when I saw that. Because I was like, yo, Ibaka brought that African <laughs> he brought that African warrior out for that, dude. He was like, what? Mm-hmm. Who do you think you're playing with, boy? So that was hilarious. But yeah, like you said, man. He... Listen, man. When the NBA does have a fight, everybody's mad about it. It's not a good thing. So these guys, like you said, they, they, they're, a lot of them are well taken care of millionaires who really don't have anything to prove as men getting into, you know, physical altercations on the court. And, and if anything, nine times out of 10, when you get into a physical altercation, you're hurting your team anyway. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. How's Bobby Portis? How's Bobby Portis even allowed to play basketball after what he did to Contavious Caldwell Pope? That's nothing, man. You get a little fine, man. <laughs> Why you trying to hurt the dog? Don't let Bobby Portis hit his days, man. Bobby- Yo, Bobby Portis, you're my hero. I've never seen somebody literally. I think he slapped the baby powder that was on his jersey and then slapped Contavious Caldwell Pope in his headband. Mm-hmm. I never seen somebody open hand slap a player into a concussion. You think I got a problem with Bobby sent Nicola bitch ass back to Spain or wherever he came from, Miratic? You think I got a problem with Portis? Nah, bro. Okay. okay. Nah. I'm just making sure. Man. Nah. nah. You do sometimes. Nah. That man's right hand engineered a trade. He said, what? <laughs> I got the trade, ma- I got the trade machine career, right here. This right hand is the trade machine and the deportation. You crazy. You out of this country, bro. You out of this country. You crazy. Go back to where go back to where you speak your language. Cause this, you ain't built for American basketball. That's what my right hand said to you, Miratic. Mm. Yeah, I don't got no don't nobody want problems with Portis. Oh, speaking of Portis, what about the time when y'all played Philly? And um Marcus Morris and um Embiid got into mm-hmm. it. Go back and watch the no, 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 no. Bobby Portis body language. Oh, yeah. nah, Bobby Portis was ready to fight. Bobby Portis wanted to fight. He was like, please, somebody charge me. He had the right hand of God charged up. Yo, you know what? That's what I'm gonna call Bobby Portis for the rest of the season. He's no longer Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis is the Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. That's his new nickname, the Iron Fist. He clearly punched the dragon from Kung Lung. And inherited those powers because, yeah, Bobby yeah, Portis definitely looks like he ready to go. He got, I'm telling any dude with big eyes like that that always look like they don't know yeah. what's going on. Then every time it's yeah. like, when it's time to fight, they always look focused. But anywhere, any other time yeah. they look lost. Oh yeah, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, he be looking like he be looking like he literally just took his finger out the electric socket or in normal conditions. Man. Any dude that's still seven and third in the year 2020. You gotta watch out for him, man. Yeah, his clock hasn't budged off seven thirty since he was born. 
he was born at 7.30 and he's been living 7.30 <laughs> for the rest of his entire life. Word so, up. um, ooh, yeah. ooh, you, Trey Young, 40, 10, and 10. James Harden, 36, 9, and 8. Okay, it's a triple-double name. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's a, um, that, oh, that's the Atlanta. But mind you, it's the Rockets and the Hawks playing each other and the Rockets are serving the Hawks. It's a 22-point game. No, wait, oh, no, okay, it's not. like Trey Young. 22. Well, points. no, I was watching the beginning. Oh, I was, about to say. I was watching the highlights. Right now, so, it ain't. Right now, it's um, it's almost tied. It's um, Atlanta's only down three. Mm. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Houston is currently sitting at what? A third now. A third. Because yeah. I think I think the Clippers gave a game back. Not gave a game, but you know they lost the game. And that separates them from Houston because I think the last time we casted, they were mm-hmm. pretty much tied. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they're uh, yeah, because uh, Houston is twenty four and eleven. It's about percentage points because Houston's twenty four and eleven, and the club twenty six twelve. Okay, yeah, but still one. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, obviously the Clippers, have, the Clippers have played more games, but the loss ratio. I think it's considered like a half a game or something like that. Yeah, it's a half a game when you've played more games than the other, but your losses. Mm-hmm. Out if you've outlost the other team, and even though they have lesser wins, and it becomes a half game. You're right, absolutely. The the logic behind the standards is always going to be you know off. weird. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be weird until we get to the you know the final stretch of the season. They start throwing all those tiebreakers in and all these other weird things that we didn't think about, like point differential. Blah 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 blah. blah. I'm glad that no real like super duper important NBA issue has been decided on something like that. Other than I think what was it the one game playoff. Mm. Where Portland and Denver played each other for that last playoff spot a couple of years ago, because they were tied across the board in like five different categories. So their wins and losses matched. They home and I think they I think they tied each other in their season series. It was crazy. But Portland and um, Denver definitely were one of the last times the math really had to lead to people solving it on the on the court. In a tie situation, but um, what yo, else can we talk so, about, yo, bro? You know, it's crazy. I was gonna bring this up. You know, obviously, you know, we had to salute Vince Carter uh, for being the first person ever playing four different decades last episode. But yo, this dude ain't never. He's gonna be in a dunk contest. Um, uh, no, you heard he's gonna try uh, being in a dunk contest. But remember, this dude—he's never been in the finals. Never. So I always kind of leave that alone because I don't know if he's been in the conference finals no, he has, before. Yeah, he, has, he hasn't been in the conference finals or the finals. That's what I'm saying. So you can league that long with that many teams. It's like we keep getting them checks, Vince. I mean, but it's like, but I think Vince Vince gave up trying to be the man years ago. I mean, decades ago. You know. Like, that's the thing. There's an energy that I've ha- had about Vince that I think a lot of people, a lot of people kind of like didn't tune in and pick up on their own. But after his run with the Nets, and I think he went to Orlando, mm-hmm. he really just kind of like, I don't want to say he checked out, but the whole chasing the glory mentality that a lot of those elite players have. I think that hunger kind of just like faded because he went to Orlando with yo, I'm going home. You know what I'm saying? Because he's from he's from North Florida. Like, you know, he's a Florida kid. Uh-huh. And 
He played with Dwight Howard. You know, he said all the right things. But it just didn't work out. Yeah. I'm sure he's got tons and, of stories, man. And I'm pretty sure at that point, yeah, he's going to be a phenomenal contributor to, to the media level when he finally decides. Like, even when I've seen him do, you know, desk analysts during the playoffs and things like that, like Vince Carter just brings a different level of insight that, you know, you only get from, you know, some of those great players who also have a vocabulary and ability to communicate. He's got both of those things. So I definitely can't wait to see what he contributes to the sports world when he finally does hang up the sneakers. But, yeah, that winning edge that I think it, I think it you know, RIP'd in, in Orlando when things went south in Orlando because from there he just kind of officially entered journeyman mode and he, he, he stopped being anything more than that. He went to Dallas, mm-hmm. Phoenix, yeah. and... And and uh, the Grizzlies, the Kings, and Chief. Yeah, he been, like I said, so, that's the thing too. It's um, yeah, because the last time he averaged twenty points was back in two thousand and eight. I was with New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think he wanted that situation to end how it ended because mm. I don't think he had control. I think the core got broken up. Possibly, I think they moved off kit. I can't remember how how that New Jersey. Situation because they were exciting. Uh-huh. The, the, the Nets were exciting. Like no disrespect to anybody, but I cheered for them heavy. I found that team to be very entertaining. As a guy who definitely grew up watching Kenya Martin and was a big time Cincinnati fan, I don't know if you remember back when we were on the team mm-hmm. together. But like almost all my basketball shorts were the, were the Jordan brand Cincinnati ones. I had the red, the black, the white. Like I. Psh- Bobby Huggins, you coached him, I'm with it. I'm cheering for you. So that even led me to cheer for people who don't deserve it, like Ruben Patterson. So long story short, the, the Nets had players that I that I cheered for. The only person I never really was a big fan of as a basketball player. I like him as a person, as an analyst, but I never really was a fan of his game was Richard Jefferson. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I love those Nets teams because, remember, before, before um, Carter got there, Kerry Kittles was healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Kerry Kittles got hurt. And he never came, never back, came back to be the Kerry Kittles that he was. Yep. And Kerry Kittles, when he was healthy, he was special because he was never a, you got to give me the ball, I need to shoot 25 types of game. But when he got the ball, he scored, he was efficient, he could shoot, he could drive, he was faster than most of the, the people that guarded him, and he defended. But I don't mm-hmm. know what knee injury he had, but he never bounced back from it. And obviously the Nets had to move on. I think they tried Lucius Harris, that didn't work. Or they had Lucius Harris and and um, Carter at the same time. But once they got Carter, you know, the writing was on the wall for Kerry Kittles. And I don't know if he wound up retiring or just not coming back or whatever the case may be, but it was just like an abrupt exit. He was gone after he got hurt and didn't come back the same guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, for Kerry Kittles, man. That's, that, that was another dude that could – he could score in bunches too, man. Yeah, with no problem. No problem whatsoever. No sweat. And, and he was a part of that. He he was a big part of that Big East revolution. Because remember, oh, he was there. Over, yeah. yeah, so he was there. Iverson was there. Ray Allen was there. Like, there was a time where, like, if you were a good perimeter player, you probably came out of the Big East. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You yeah, know? Yeah, definitely. Like, they, they kind of loaded up the NBA draft class in that, like, 95 through 97 era. You know what I'm saying? And they they got a lot of kids after them looks. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I definitely I definitely respect that caliber uh, uh, and that class of players that, that came during that time. But yeah, Vince definitely at some point 
just kind of like went the whole, you know what? I really like playing basketball. Whoever going to give me a job, I'm going to take it and just go have fun in that city route. Like, I definitely think that he, like, I think he just found a way to, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing yeah, wrong with just loving find, the game yeah, and wanting exactly. to play. Exactly. And I think that's what, that's what it was. But I mean, I think the fact that he, he identified that out of his life early enough. Uh, so that way you're not necessarily giving out those big balloon contracts and stuff like that. You kind of know that, hey, they already, and that's, 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 the, that's the weird thing about Vince, man, because he had a lot of, obviously, you know, what he was doing when he was with the Raptors and the, the Nets was, you know, crazy, especially with the Raptors. I mean, the dunk contest to, you know, being the man and like I said, just scoring a lot of points and being an all-star and an all, you know, all-NBA player and stuff like that. He was, heck, he was the rookie of the year. I mean, you know, he had a lot of good things, but then you start looking at events. A lot of people, you know, you got to think about it. A lot of people haven't seen the events that we saw. You know, obviously they see the they see the YouTube videos of his dunks. There's an entire generation of kids who know nothing of the Vince Carter who was a nightmare for the other guy to have to guard. If you were a two guard in the NBA, like, let's just go through the two guard gauntlet. On any given night in 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 the late '90s, you could wind up going to Toronto and having to deal with Vince Carter. Mm-hmm. Then you could hop on a plane, stop in Philly. And have to deal with the answer. Jesus. Then, then you could go to Orlando and deal with T Mac. Then you say, you know what? Uh, we're gonna go on a road trip and head west. Oh, you well, land well, in Milwaukee. Well, not, not, you got Ray Allen. You got Ray Allen, but keep going. I was say, remember, you, you used to have to go to Boston with Paul Pierce. And I don't think we're done yet. That's what I'm saying. It's... I don't think we're done yet. I, I, man. Yeah, so a so, lot of people. And in this era, like, if we did that right now, if we, if we, what's the nightmare position in the NBA? What would you say? Is it three? Mm-hmm. Probably maybe it's, maybe it's, yeah, it, one is murderer's row, definitely. Because you could, right now, right now, if you're a point guard in the NBA and Let's say you get a call up from the, the from the G League to play for pick a team. It don't even matter. Pick a team that doesn't have an elite point guard. You're all of a sudden cast as the starter, and they like, yo, you up for thirty games because our main point guard is down. So you're gonna play all thirty teams in the NBA at least once. That means you're gonna see Dame Lillard, Trey Young. Mm-hmm. You're gonna see John Morant. Yeah, John Morant. Yo, he's Yo, he might have to get his own little a little fifty minutes of fame on a podcast or something because he's you getting putting that work. You getting Russ? You getting Russ? You getting Kimba? Yeah, Kimba. You getting um? You going? De'Aaron Fox? Oh gosh! You getting um? Oh man, you getting you get Ben Simmons because he's the, the, his height alone is going to be a mismatch, you know. You're getting Luca. If, You're getting Luca. If... You're getting um, my man. I was just about to say, uh, man, Luke, not Luca. Um, Brogdon. Brogdon's another one that puts in a lot of work. I mean, oh, he's gonna he's gonna make it make make life hell for you bringing the ball up and down the court. That's what I'm saying, you got you could th- you could throw LeBron in there if you want, but still, that, that that's that's probably and I don't want to say it like like it's to be misinterpreted the wrong way. But LeBron is probably 
the easier one because he's big mm. and you know nobody's really gonna be mad at you for going underneath the picks and if he well, he's tries not, really well, aggressively he, he because he's the next last night from going under the picks. Oh yeah, he did. He hit like six threes. But um yeah, man. So I would say point guard gauntlet is probably as tough as they come in the NBA. Uh the two guard gauntlet is probably next. Because all of the new guys that are starting to score a lot seem to be two guards. You got Zach Levine suddenly in the 20-plus category. You're going to have to deal with James Harden. You're going to have just those two alone. Oladipo's coming back. Mm -hmm. DeMar DeRozan is going to give you a headache. Um, You got uh, Jalen Brown is pretty good. Yeah, Jalen Brown's going to give you problems. Um, you're going to have to play against Jeru Holiday. That's enough. Mm-hmm. That's enough. I think he's one of the five hardest guys to guard in the NBA. Yeah. That step-through move that he does when he gets the cooking. Oh, yeah. Forget the, about it. it. I've seen guys just turn around and run the opposite way when they see him get his footwork together. So, yeah. It, I don't know. I think the, I think the position that you probably have the less, the least amount of stress playing is probably center. Oh, absolutely. In the league. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because if you're a power forward, you got to deal with a stretch four. Uh, and if you're a three man, you got to be able to switch down to a two and up to a four. So you probably got the most stressful on-court management to deal with for a whole entire game. But yeah, I would not want to be a point guard in today's league because, the, oh, I mean, the kid in Cleveland is, is is cutting people up now. Garland? Like, everywhere you go, like, the starting point guard, you, you're not really getting a slouch, man. You're not getting a slouch. And if you're getting a slouch, it's because somebody's hurt. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, would, I wouldn't want that for you. But that's not to discourage any kids out there that are listening to the cast. If you are developing yourself as a young point guard, then Go out there and do your drills, do your two ball drills, do your, you know, bounce the basketball in the dark, do all those great things, do the Steve Nash drill, get yourself a tennis ball. Nothing wrong with wanting to be a point guard in today's NBA. Just be aware that that's that's a premium position right now. And you're going to be going up against a lot of the best of the best. And I, I wish all of you young ballers out there the best. I mean, sh- I wouldn't even want you to have to deal with Alfred Payton, to be honest with you, because that boy nasty, too. Mm-hmm. Just, he can't even shoot. Shout out to my boy Markel, though. Markel's been good, man. His mm-hmm. jump shot is still, you know, it's still dipped in shaky sauce, but he's doing a lot of great things out there. He almost impossible to stop when getting to the paint. His court vision is a lot better than I actually thought it was, because remember, he played at Washington, so he didn't really have that many people to pass it to. So I didn't know if he had court awareness like he has, but he's really been doing a good job of serving up and keeping the ball moving in Orlando because they have a real <clears throat> equal opportunity system there. He finds guys. So I definitely got to give Markel Fultz his props, man. Yeah. I, oh, I was going to just say real quick before we wrap up the podcast, James Harden is, um, scored his 15th. 40-point triple-double, which is second, yeah. second all-time to only uh, the Big O. The Big O's got 22, and James Harden's got 15, so there's definitely a possibility James Harden could break that record. Uh, but he, you know... Ooh, Nuggets just went up one point with seven seconds to go. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, yeah, just a little, I just saw that. Yeah, but it's oh, crazy because... Oh, 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 before we go, we have to speak on one more thing. Um, Zion Williamson resumed 5-on-5. Five 
with the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, and he's also slated to possibly play near the end of this month. And it looks like it's had an impact on the Pelicans because they're, they're putting Chicago through the spin cycle right now with about eight minutes to go. They're up 12 in, in – oh, that's in New Orleans. These white uniforms when you're on the road is confusing, man. Mm. I don't know. I, I think they got to stop doing that. Like, I think the NFL brought that, that mm, rule in Well, Dallas just lost on a turnover. They turned the ball over. Mm. They lost one one oh seven to one oh six. Like I said, I don't I don't see many teams who have enough to deal with what Denver brings to the table as far as those teams below Clippers and, and, and Lakers. Everybody else in the West is at a talent disadvantage when they play against Denver because they just run out thirteen guys that can play. And now Michael Porter Jr. is comfortable and he's looking more and more comfortable the more playing time he gets. Denver could really be a problem come playoff time in the, in the West because they got a guy that nobody's really going to totally know how to game plan for because he's literally learning himself as he continues to play. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, they're still young, so they're vulnerable just off the fact that they won't have the experience, but it's going to be tough to deal with those teams in the playoffs that just – because those teams that play with nothing to lose are the toughest ones to deal with, and I don't think that they'll truly feel the pressure until they get into a later round. So maybe yeah, come second I'm, round. I'm, I'm worried about Denver because they don't have a bona fide second all-star. I mean, Murray Murray to me is, if you could get him going, he's good. But if, if We didn't even mention him, and I feel bad because he's definitely the starting point guard for Denver, and he has everything it takes to be an elite-level point guard. But when you play with your best player being your five-man and he's also the best passer on the team – it kind of diminishes the impact that you can have on the game as a, as a point guard. And even though Murray is definitely a capable scorer, I don't think we get to see his full wheelhouse because of the system that he's in and the, the, the players that he plays with. But I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep going, bro. Yeah, I think – I definitely think he um, – he, he, Oh, B.I. almost got like, a triple-double. I feel like he almost – he hasn't taken that, that next step up. Because I was thinking that this year, with the success that Denver was going to have, he was going and the to, contract he signed. He was going to be able to get me over twenty points a game, and possibly sneak into the All Star game because the fact that his team has uh, one of the best records in the league, and he would be doing his thing. But I'm not seeing that this year. You know, what is he at? Like eighteen and five? Uh, like he's actually seventeen and four. Okay, close. So, but again, I was I was expecting you know like twenty and six at least. You know, like a two to three point. Again, again, with when you're playing with Jokic, when you've got the Joker on your team and the Joker by default is going to touch the ball as much as he does, I don't, I don't really hold assists. I don't hold him to a high assist standard because, again, his opportunity to create is based off of oh, usage. And he that's crosses fine, half he court. Still, he can still get some more points per game because he's getting about 17, 18 shots a game. Yeah, I mean, listen. With that type of volume, you definitely could stand to score more points. If your points per game matches your shot attempts, then chances are your efficiency could be better. So I don't want to take nothing from from that. Oh, yeah, so now they're replaying the Dallas thing. What did they do? Like, you had a shot, and you decided to pump fake it, and mm-hmm. there was one second left on the clock. Eh. Certain guys don't, don't want that light. That's all that is. It's not even that. It's just a revelation that Dallas certainly does have a situation where, you know, Besides Luca, if you take him out of the game, I didn't see Porzingis on the floor. Yeah, so, I don't know. I think he's okay. out with a hamstring. I think mm. I forgot exactly what, but yeah, something like to that to that nature. 
But Dallas, I think that's going to be their 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 um crutch when they get playoff time. Is that teams are going to harp, you know, lock in on Luca, and pretty much say everybody else has got to beat us. And and that may be how how you take them out in a seven game series. Like a lot of these one player heavy teams, like they usually get I don't want to say exposed, but they usually get revealed as to how good they truly. Regular season is not the same monster that the playoffs is. You know, teams are scouting, game mm-hmm. planning, and all they have to focus on is beating you, not we're flying to Milwaukee next night or we're going to be in L.A. tomorrow or whatever the case may be. All of those distractions go out the window, and it's truly about those 10 guys on the floor from both teams being focused on each other. So I think Dallas will probably continue to have a good record as they continue to, you know, progress. But I think come playoff time, I wouldn't punch their ticket. Mm-hmm. Because right now they're in that three, four, five range, and that's dangerous in the, in the West. That's super dangerous in the West. Because you're in the three, four, five, that means that you're likely to play one of the four, five, six teams. And nobody wants that smoke, man. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants sure. that smoke. Very Same cool. thing in the East, though. Because I think Philly is the sixth best team in in in, in the East right now, so mm. nobody nobody's gonna want, want Philly. Like, is it really a is it really a benefit to to win in the three seed in the East if your reward is a seven game series with Joel and Bead and all those monsters in Philadelphia? I don't think I want that. Much. Yeah, but if they can't, if Philly can't figure it out, then it might not be as bad as we thought. Again, playoffs is a different monster. So mm-hmm. all of their weaknesses that we see in the regular season they don't necessarily remain weaknesses in the playoffs because you can play bully ball. True. So we shall see, man. It's an interesting, an interesting conundrum to, to watch play out as the season continues to play out. As always, though, we thank you guys for joining us here at Views from the Clutch. If you would like to reach us, you can leave a message on any of the platforms where our podcast is hosted. You can leave us a message directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Instagram and Facebook. Episode 50 is now going to the buzzer. And on that note, I'm going to say peace. Peace. The chance to reclaim the lead. Rams